Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which which our community community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to to expand expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us. Everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. All right, good morning, everybody. Our next reading today is from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translate means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Uh, Nathanael asked him, where do you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Great job. And thanks, Dan, too. Those were monster passages, both of them, you guys. Hey, everybody. My name is Steve, and welcome to those of you who are new, who are watching for the first time. Uh, We are a quirky little community of people who, in non-COVID times, meet in Robbinsdale. But in COVID times, we uh, have this amazing little community of people who bounces babies as they watch. Uh, Hi, Aaron, I see you. Uh, Who knits as they watch. Hi, Jenny, I see you. Who has a permanent smile on his face as they watch. Hi, Mitch, I see you. Uh, And so here we are. Um, 
we're in the second Sunday after the Epiphany. And Epiphany is the season of the church calendar where we pause to notice what we see. And it's interesting that we even heard a story about seeing and not seeing in Eli and Samuel uh, that Dan read. So, so interesting. What does it mean that your eyes grow dim as you grow old in a metaphorical way? And what does it mean to learn to see new things as you get older and as you are younger? But this passage in John, there's so many juicy nuggets, you guys, in this passage. So many juicy nuggets. Can I get an amen, Mark Granger? Uh, but we're going to have to satisfy ourselves with two of them, only two. Uh, but don't worry, I think they are going to be satisfying. But before we get there, in this scripture portion, we see Jesus inviting a group of people to follow him. And we have to mention the obvious, we have to state it, the unfortunate detail that they're all men. <laughs> now, I wish that some women were included in this passage because it is clear elsewhere in the Gospels that women numbered among the followers of Jesus. This is yet another example, you guys, of how the Bible, the events of the Bible, are limited to the human consciousness of their respective times, right? So having said that, we also believe that the writers of the Bible inserted timeless clues and self-burying treasure so that new refractions of light and life would be revealed to every generation as they turn the 70-sided gem that we call the Bible, around and around and around. And we believe that we need to use our imagination at least as much as our intellect if we're going to understand the endless mysteries of the Bible. Can I get an amen? Come on, people. Imagination. So juicy nugget number one. The New Testament was written in Greek. Come on, Danny. Come on, Danny Cook. And the Greek word for disciple is mathetas, mathetas, which simply means learner. What does it mean that Jesus called learners? Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. So let's let that be the first all play question. If you're new around here, all plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus not just the voice of the solo, because we really do believe that God is heard best in community. And there are things that we can only discover if we listen to other voices. So what does it mean, everybody? What does it mean to be a learner? What does it mean to be a learner? All right, Nate Banker, that we don't have to have it figured out. It's fascinating. He doesn't invite them to become Christians <laughs> or to believe a certain set of principles. He just invites them to be learners. Oh, my gosh, it's getting so fast. Uh, we don't have to have it all figured out. Danny Cook, it means you recognize there are plenty of things you don't know. Yes, and shout out to Allie Lee, who used those three powerful words, I don't know, in her kid's sermon. Allie Lee, to practice, yes. Will Lee, we never arrive, yes. Mark Ranger, not yet arrived, yes. Jenny Gullickson, to be curious, that's from Steve, okay? And then to ask questions from Jenny, yes. Uh, Mitch Bankus, you have to be actually be open to learning, open to learning. 
Uh, Bob, he came to teach. He needed receptive students. Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, Laura, to not know everything already. Yes. Uh, Enoch, willing to change. Woo. Ron, opposite of a know-it-all. <laughs> I, I struggle with that sometimes, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. Uh, Pam, to listen. Yes. Hannah, admitting we don't know it all and we want to know more. Yes. From Christine, you must have an open mind. Yes. Jim, you can't learn new things if you're talking all the time. So listen, yet another thing I struggle with. Uh, from Rick, uh, it means you're looking for a teacher to be a learner. It means you're looking for a teacher. What does it mean to have a posture, you guys, where you're looking for a teacher? Whew. Uh, from Peyton, always being open to changing your, your perspective and understanding you may understand only a partial truth. Come on, Peyton. So good. And then from Jesse, to have humility. Uh, Elizabeth, our reader, open to having my own beliefs challenged. I struggle with that one too. <laughs> you guys are bringing up so many things I struggle with. I feel uncomfortable. Um, Steve, no, from Joan Shawnee, to be in the world around me with people. Oh my gosh, to be a learner is simply to be in the world around me with people. I think you could stop right there. Whew. Uh, Bob, needing a new way to live. Ron, embracing uncertainty. Linda, providing a space for expansion. If God created the world and it's still expanding, then our understanding of God should be still expanding. Amen? <laughs> Well, you guys, our mission at Genesis, we have a vision. It's to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. But our mission is to become ordinary apprentices or learners of Jesus who are learning to love God, to love ourselves, and to love others wholeheartedly. I would call that our main thing, okay, to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, to love ourselves, and love others wholeheartedly. And if all of your beautiful definitions of what it means to be a learner are applied to that, then that means we do those things, learning to love God, love ourselves, and love others wholeheartedly, with the sense that we haven't arrived, with the sense that we have plenty to learn, with the sense that we want to have an open mind about how we can grow in those things, right? And it also means, and I, I hope, I hope we all can agree on this one. If that is our main thing, that when we disagree about politics or when we disagree about points of theology, even big ones, that it is okay because those aren't our main things. <laughs> We're not going to center around a political person or a political ideology. Uh, no matter what it is. We're not going to center around a point of theology, even if it's a big one, because that's simply not our main thing. When we get bogged down in disagreements about smaller things, we can raise ourselves up again by asking, these debates and arguments are important, and we're not going to not have them. We're not going to say, oh, it doesn't matter. They do matter. But when we get bogged down, we're just not, we're, we're, we're going to remember what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus here? What does it mean to be a learner here? How are we learning to love God, love ourselves, and love others 
wholeheartedly? And how can we remember that? So here's another all play question. If it's really about learning and becoming learners and remaining learners, then this is the all play question. Please use the chat. What might get in the way of us being continuous learners? What might get in the way of us being continuous learners? Ego, Pam, 100%. Yet another thing I struggle with. Uh, Hannah, arrogance, yep. Uh, oh man, we're going fast. <laughs> we're going real fast. <laughs> um, assumptions from Nate Banker. Uh, Nico and Regan, wounds, yes, 100%. Oh my gosh. Michelle, pride, yep. Uh, Rebecca, only wanting to learn from some people or sources. Mama. Uh, Lori, pride, Peyton, answers, yes. Uh, Allie, trauma, yes. Bob, stubbornness, yes. Having the right beliefs, Will, yes. And right being in quotes there. Uh, Elizabeth, binary thinking, thinking that it has to be this or that, one or the other, in or out, right or wrong. Uh, from James, and by the way, Broom Schweitzer, is so good to have you guys back. Oh my gosh, I freaked out when I saw that you were on the call just freaked out. Uh, belief that value is earned. That'll get in the way. Uh, Rajan, to be stuck in the same paradigm. Yes, John, related to ego, the need to be right. Yep, I can identify with that one. And Michelle, totally, exhaustion can get us, can, let's just be honest about that. Exhaustion can get in the way of being, of having an open mind. Uh, Mary, need for certainty, yes. Uh, Reagan, toddler sucking all of your energy. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I remember, I do remember. I had three toddlers under the age of three at one point. Oh my, uh, Jesse, trauma, yes. Ugo, noise, Woo yes, in so many ways. Uh, Bob, confusing, Having the courage or of our convictions with being open to new ideas. Yes, yes. And James, you're so welcome. So good to have you. Well, all of those beautiful answers are kind of the same way of saying that something, uh, an implicit bias that we all have, it's something called confirmation bias. Have you guys heard of confirmation bias? If you haven't, it's basically this, the idea that we will search for information that only confirms what we already believe, and we're suspicious of new information that challenges those old ideas, old information, and trusted authorities. Confirmation bias means that we will seek out uh, beliefs that already that only confirm what we already believe, and we'll kind of be suspicious of, and we'll resist new ideas that challenge those beliefs. So an example is right there in the text, it's fun. In verse 46, when we see this sort of litany of Jesus inviting followers and then followers going out and telling people, oh my gosh, we found the Messiah, we found the anointed, we found the one that Moses was, was speaking about. And then everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until we get to Nathaniel, whom I love. And he barks out this delicious confirmation bias question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. So apparently there was a thing going around that folks from Nazareth weren't all that important or maybe all that bright. 
And so he barks out his confirmation bias. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And here's what confirmation bias says about each of us is that all of us have a can anything good come out of blank, right? And I'm not gonna have I'm not gonna say name your blank in the chat because it would get way too embarrassing. <laughs> and we're probably not at that level of vulnerability, but just in your own mind, you know, go ahead and fill in the blank. Can anything good come from? Whew. So confirmation bias is gonna get in our way of being a continual learner. And there are so many. So one of the things I've been doing lately, and I've shared this before, but as I when I get sucked into the news, and I don't watch the news a lot, but I do read a lot of the news. So I'm trying to read uh, news sources from different perspectives on the political spectrum. And I'm it's really interesting to, to see like, what are the ones where I go? Yeah, yeah. And what are the ones where I go? You know, that, that huge, like that big eyebrow raise where you're like, that's totally biased. But then we go, yeah, yeah, to that other totally biased thing that we just read. <laughs> so what are some ways that you can break out of confirmation bias? You know, what are some things that you can do um, to break out of confirmation bias. Well, you can listen to different perspectives other than your own. You can get into um, conversations with people with whom you don't agree without trying to force them to believe what you believe and just listening to what they believe and why they believe it. And you can walk away from those not having had to change your mind, um, but maybe learning something, you know, and I agree, uh, Nate, you do have to feel safe enough to let your defenses down. And it's not always safe. Not everyone is safe enough to have those conversations with 100%. And uh, Laura, the first step is admitting you have, you have a problem. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so good. Uh, Nico and Regan, breathe in the discomfort. I agree with that. You know, when, it, when something's uncomfortable, instead of pushing it away, just be with it for let it rise and let it fall and just be with that for a second, noticing your tendency to want to push it away. Now, there's another bias called contact bias that gets in the way. And this is thanks to uh, Brian McLaren, who I respect deeply. And con contact bias is basically this, when I don't have intense and sustained personal contact with the other, whoever the other is, my prejudices and false assumptions go unchallenged, okay? When I don't have sustained and intense personal contact with the other, then my prejudices and false assumptions go unchallenged. I'll give you an example of this. I interviewed a Latina uh, pastor after the Super Bowl halftime show last week, as there was all last year, not last week. It doesn't feel like last week. It feels like 10 years ago. Remember the one where Shakira and J-Lo um, dance. And there was some internet like hubbub about, was that too suggestive? Was that too sexual? And I wanted to get a perspective um, from someone who was Latinx. So I interviewed this woman and she really was amazing. It was a really fun interview. And when I recorded the intro after the conversation, I described her in the intro as really articulate, really articulate, 
really intelligent. What a great view. And then after it came out, really courageously, she sent me a note and said, Steve, I don't think you did this on purpose. But as a brown woman, when I, this has happened to me so often, I get called intelligent and articulate as if it's a surprising thing. And I was like, no, no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. But maybe there was some unchallenged prejudice or bias in me that I wasn't aware of that led me to say that, you guys. She, it was so courageous of her to bring it up. I apologized. I said, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And it was a great, it was, it was how my contact bias needed to be broken. And I, I don't think I meant anything by that, but the, the point of breaking our biases is to become aware of the things that we don't even know we say and do that are offensive to other people, for example. Am I making sense, you guys? It's so like, it's just like, Whew. And I was so, I was so uh, grateful that she took the time to do that because I bet she's done that in other ways and she maybe hasn't gotten a welcome response, you know? Uh, okay, yeah, so he, here we go. One of the strongest things one can do is entertain an accusation and consider as truth. Well, thanks, Nate. Um, and then Rajan, because you wouldn't typically describe an educated white woman as articulate. Exactly, right? And I began to think about, well, who wouldn't, like, who would I just assume? Anyway, this is so, this, this was just so good. Um, okay, so that was only juicy nugget number one. And I'm looking at the time. Good thing I put a timer on my phone when I preach you guys, or else we would be well, well into the afternoon. So juicy nugget number one is the disciples of Jesus are called to be learners, and so are we. So that's that's enough for some of you. Some of you can like stop taking notes, turn it off, whatever. But for those of you who are like, yeah, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm kind of learning, there is another juicy nugget. Juicy nugget number two. The first time Jesus addresses these learners and his voice comes out, what comes out of his mouth is a question. Anybody remember what the question is? It's good. It's delicious. It's so juicy. And it is this. What are you looking for? And Nate, yes, please. Someone create a Juicy Nuggets theme song so I can just press the button and be like, Juicy Nuggets. It'll be better than that, though, we hope. <laughs> anyway, back to Jesus' question. What are you looking for? I love this because it highlights the connection between following Jesus and searching for something. When you agree to follow Jesus, here's the paradoxical thing. You have found something of inestimable value, but you also have agreed to go on a journey where you don't know where you'll end up. Ha! So when you hear, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? <laughs> and by the way, Reagan, Packers already won this week and so preach on. <laughs> to which all the Vikings fans went. But man, I watched that game yesterday and whoo, they're, they're looking good, you guys. I have to admit, even I have to admit. Um, no, all play question. What are you looking for? What do you hear in that question? That's an all play question. Use the chat to answer. When you hear the question, what are you looking for? 
What do you hear in that question? Whoa, Danny Cook, what's the deepest need of your soul? That's good. That's really good. Ooh, Nate, what are you projecting onto me? Yes. Yes. Oh, I've never thought about that before. Yes. Bob, something that both entices me and scares me. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to think about God asking you that question. What are you looking for? And having it be open-ended, you know, like there's not one right answer. Peyton, nothing. My brain usually stops. <laughs> oh, Peyton, that's so good. Thanks, man. Um, Michelle, it's noise over here. What was the question? Okay, the question was, um, the question was, when you hear the question, what are you looking for, particularly from Jesus, <laughs> what do you hear in that question? And just, <laughs> oh, Michelle, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. I'm I'm ensconced in my basement with the door closed. It's not noisy at all right now. It's noisy upstairs though. I can hear it. Uh, Reagan Granger, what should I be looking? What should I be looking for? Can you just tell me the answer? Yes. Thank you for saying that. I think that's so often what I like. Listen, I'm tired of doing all the work, right? Just tell me, Jesus. And he ends up asking like hundreds of questions and giving very few answers. Um, from Rexanne, stop looking at others around and look inward. Whoa, that's really good. That's really good. From Jesse, uh, what are you unable to see that you already have? Oh my, we could stop there. Of course, I'm not going to stop there, but we could. Um, <laughs> Rajan is saying Michelle's thinking right now, maybe just peace and quiet for two minutes. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing a lot today. That's good. John, what is keeping you from being at peace with yourself and the world? What are you looking for? Oh, it's so good. From Bob, what what a world this could be. Well, I'm sure answers will keep coming in. I think part of it is part of what I think when I hear that question is um, it's tempting to think of the decision to follow Jesus as an endpoint, like, okay, now I've become a Christian, or now I've made a decision, versus a decision to embark on an ongoing journey of discovery, of learning, right? It's tempting. What are you looking for? Jesus asks the would-be learners. Well, Jesus is going to ask the same question in the book of John another two times. He's going to ask the same question of the soldiers who arrest him in John 18. And he's going to ask it a third time of Mary in the garden when he has been resurrected, only in chapter 20 of John, though altered in an important way when he asks Mary, not what are you looking for, but who? Who are you looking for? So in the garden, not the Garden of Eden, but the garden where Jesus is resurrected and a new beginning is ushered in, he asks the question, who are you looking for? I was reading a commentator, Caroline Lewis. She's a prof here at Luther Seminary here in the cities. She notes that this question asked on those three occasions points to a main issue for the gospel of John. 
that Jesus is not a what, but a who. And who indicates a relationship. Jesus is not a concept to be debated. He's not a mascot to cheer for. He's a person who invites us to go on a journey of ongoing discovery with him. He's a person that invites us to go on a journey of ongoing discovery where our confirmation biases will be broken down, where our contact biases will be broken down. What are you looking for? Jesus asks all of his learners in all generations. The learners in John 1, they respond, and their response indicates curiosity. Remember what they said? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, maybe they answered that because like, they're like, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> but maybe they were curious, and maybe they picked up on the fact that Jesus was inviting them to be with him. So where are you staying? Better translated is where are you abiding? To abide means to remain. It also means to continue to be present. Where are you continuing to be present? Whew, man. I wonder if they knew what they were asking. I wonder if they knew what they were asking of Jesus. It's one of those moments where maybe they did. Um, and so Jesus' response is delicious to the question, where are you staying? He responds, come and see. Don't you love that? Come and see. Come with me and see. He doesn't launch into a diatribe of theological belief. He doesn't make them pass a theological quiz. He just says, come and see. He invites them warmly to be with him. And they're going to find the what and the who in the experience of just being with, of abiding with Jesus. And abiding with Jesus will challenge their confirmation bias at times, will it not? <laughs> it also will for sure challenge their contact bias again and again and again. Now, this is in John chapter 1, but if you remember in John chapter 4, these learners will be astonished to discover Jesus abiding with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. That's in chapter 4, verse 27, because Jews despised Samaritans in those days. But this interaction that Jesus has with this Samaritan, and not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman, will be so transformative for her that she will go to her village and she'll invite them, using these words, to come and see this man who told me everything I have ever done. And that wasn't like a fearful thing. It was like a thing of awe. Come and see this man who breaks my all my confirmation biases and all my contact biases. Come and see, because you can. It's permitted for you to come and see this Jewish man. He wants you to come and see him. I mean, they must have been just like utterly astonished to hear that. We exist to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, love ourselves, and love others wholeheartedly. So I have a question for you, Genesis. Will we be learners together? When the chips are down and we're maybe tempted to throw stones at each other for what we believe and how we believe it, Will we be learners together? So do you have to vote a certain way? 
Do you have to agree on every point of theology? Do you have to follow a list of rules? Do you have to be an expert on the Enneagram to be a part of Genesis? No, 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 and no. Because that's not our main thing. Deciding to be learners together means we'll refuse to waste our time making sure we agree on all those things. We may talk about them. We may debate them. We may have lively discussions, but that's not our main thing. So we're going to keep our theological boundaries as broad as is humanly possible so we can keep our collective invitation to each other and the watching world as simple as possible, which is this. Will we simply abide with Jesus together? That's the invitation. That's the collective invitation, you guys. Will we abide with Jesus together? Not will we follow a list of rules. Not will we agree on a big list of theology. Not will we try to become exactly like each other in every way, shape, and form. Will we abide with Jesus together? With a posture of learners. I think that's a commitment to coming and seeing where Jesus is actually abiding and doing this will expose our confirmation biases. Amen. <laughs> and that's going to at times feel really intense and really painful and sometimes really embarrassing, but it will lead to the collective ability to see and hear what we could never see and hear otherwise. All the surprising ways that Jesus is secretly making all things new even in the midst of terrible chaos and division like we're seeing in our world right now? Will we abide with Jesus with a posture of learners? And then abiding with Jesus together with a posture of learners is also a commitment to allowing Jesus to lead us to the very places where we're convinced nothing good can ever come from. You know, that Nazareth, following Jesus, abiding with him, will bring us to those places where our contact biases are absolutely exposed. But if we allow ourselves to be led to those places by Jesus, we may just experience the other, not as the enemy, but as our sibling. Amen. And wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't that be a freeing thing? I mean, I'm in for that, even though I know how hard that will be. That's much more compelling of an invitation for me than will you just join a group of people so that you can all think the same thing and believe the same way. Blech. Blech. Let's be learners. Amen. We can do it together. You guys, it'll be frustrating. I'll frustrate you and you'll frustrate me. <laughs> But let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's be learners. Let's learn to love God, learn to love others, and learn to love ourselves wholeheartedly. And I think if we do that, we'll do it imperfectly, but we will be on a journey of ongoing discovery. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would, or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.